I'm Joy Schwartz. And I'm Natalie Siston. We are The, the Collective, Collective Voice. We are two college friends who will talk about issues that impact professionals at work and in life. Welcome to Episode 5 of The Collective Voice. This is Natalie to introduce today's topic. Joy will be interviewing Nihar Chaya, a friend, colleague, and executive coach she has worked with. As someone myself who has benefited from coaching, you are going to enjoy this conversation, whether you're a coach yourself, you aspire to be a coach, or you simply want to know more about the discipline of coaching. Nihar will share lessons from his coaching experiences, as well as common challenges and how they have evolved over time. Enjoy the episode. I asked a friend and former colleague of mine to join us for a part of this podcast episode. Nihar Chaya is an executive coach and president of Partner Exec, a leadership development consulting company. Nihar, it's great to have you with us. Hi, Joy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It would be great if you could start off um, just by telling our listeners a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing now with your company. Sure. So as you mentioned, my company is called Partner Exec. I help people develop better personal strategies to achieve their goals in business. You know, my background over the past 20 years spans what I would call the three B's, business, behavior, and best practices in leadership development. I started my career working in strategy consulting and got my MBA. As many consultants do, I focused on helping the clients solve business problems, whether it was marketing, finance, or sales. But soon I noticed how many clients were sabotaging their success by ignoring an important aspect, the behavior and development of their leaders. These companies had the best strategies in place, but their leaders and teams were unaware of how they were getting in the way of fulfilling those corporate goals. And it was then that I got into executive assessment and coaching. I worked one-on-one -on -one with leaders across global companies, first through two larger consulting firms, and now I serve clients through my own practice. Thanks, Nihar. I know I've personally benefited tremendously from your coaching of me, both when we work for the same organization and, and certainly now as you have your own firm. And to that end, I'd like it if you could help our audience learn a little bit more about your coaching experience and the type of clients you work with. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So given my corporate coaching focus, I tend to work mostly with leaders from the C-level to SVP, uh, VP, or directors in relatively large companies where a succession pipeline of executives is pretty critical to the business. So I'm often asked to help someone who's either preparing for a transition to an executive role or recently made a move. I also work a lot with leaders that are highly successful but stumbling due to some barrier, whether it's internal or external. Now by internal, I mean people who may be struggling with self-doubt or the need to expand their strategic thinking or business acumen. And by external, I mean those who may have negative perceptions from others around them that could get in the way of their effectiveness as a leader. Nira, I love the way that you, you frame the internal versus the external barriers. I don't think I've ever heard it positioned like that, but it, it makes complete sense. Uh, and I think we have to think about it in, in both ways when we're working with people. And I certainly think about it myself when I'm coaching people through work and life transitions as well. Mm -hmm. Now, are there, I know you work with um, leaders going through these transitions, but how about beyond your corporate clients? Um, who else Who else have you worked with? Yeah, actually, it's funny. I, I also have found a lot of interest in my coaching from individuals who need a sounding board and an accountability partner, but might prefer to work with a coach outside of their company. 
And so to a small degree, I do work privately with, uh, with individuals around many of the same issues. That's awesome. So people who know they have development areas or some dimensions of their, their personality or the behaviors that they want to work through, mm-hmm. but they want to practice those outside of their organization. Exactly right. And may, they might even have some goals that they're really feeling very strongly about achieving, but have to find a way to fit that into their, their day-to-day at work. And so they say, it'd be great to have a, a coach on the side that I can feel safe around and practice new approaches with. Nice. So you're kind of like a work therapist on the side. Right. Right. Well, I don't mean to be minimizing the, no. the pillar of executive coaching, but it, it, no, I see some corollary there for sure. And Joy, as you know, you know, we work together, and and I think that in so many ways, it's hard to understand how to succeed in the workplace, and particularly at higher levels of leadership. And so, any t- t- chance you get to to talk to somebody in a safe, trusted way, I think is always better better for the leader and the organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes just to get you outside of what you experience day to day and and to get that objective perspective and outside view is so helpful and so meaningful. So I'm glad you've been able to do that for people through your organization. And I know I definitely want to hear more about how others can find you and your organization at the end of our podcast, or excuse me, later in our podcast. In the meantime, I have a couple other, other questions for you. And one is to talk to me a little bit about some of the lessons you've learned early in your own coaching career. I know you've been doing this work for quite some time, mm-hmm. a number of years, and I'm sure you have learned lessons along the way sure. and that you can impart to those of us who kind of coach on the job or coach through other means and some of us who are just aspiring coaches. So talk to us about some of those lessons. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that uh, I learned pretty early on was how much self-management was required for myself as a coach in order to be in the best service to my client. Joy, as you know, coaching is unique in that unlike traditional consulting, you're not the paid expert in the room. You're not the one with all the answers. Right. So I meet my clients where they are, and I move with them as we both explore what's in the way of success and uncover some pretty hard truths about who they are and what actions to take. So you can imagine that sometimes what a client needs for the change he wants isn't always easy to hear and accept. Oh, I'm sure. And we've both experienced that both in our previous lives, that Mm -hmm. sometimes they're just not bought in. That's right. And, and, you know, one lesson I learned, and one of the reasons why I love coaching is that I'm stepping out of my comfort zone just as much as I help my client to do. And that can be scary, but can be highly rewarding. Early on, this can, of course, be challenging for coaches, especially when you're trying to show credibility and prove yourself. Mm. But you learn that your highest value, I think, is to be present and not make it about you but about the trust and shared goals between you two and the organization you're serving. So I may be asking you about insider trade secrets and coaching here, Nihar. It's a little off script, but how do you do that? How do you make it not about you, and how do you get them to that place of self-discovery and kind of owning, owning their development areas or owning the challenges that they face? I think the first step is, is making a commitment to listen. And, you know, listening isn't simply just sitting there waiting for the client to, you know, tell you what they want, or in so many cases, they're not going to tell you what they want because they don't know. Mm. So that's where, you know, as you know, active listening plays an important part, really thinking about how can I inquire in ways that are going to bring out uh, the insights and the important aspects that we should work on. I've been coaching a leader, for example, where 
who has, happens to be a very linear thinker. Mm. And so he has a tendency to, to work with me, hoping to get a real good answer on what should I do? Okay. Give me an action plan. Give me the next right, step. Tell me, just tell do. me what to do. Tell me what to do. Exactly. Yes. Been there. <laughs> and, 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 right, and, and the truth is if, if, if he knew what to do or I knew what to do, then he probably would need a coach. Right. What we need to do is actually start thinking laterally. And in order to do that, you have to almost suspend your disbelief. You have to suspend your judgment. And so part of that is actually creating the conditions between us where we can think without judgment. We can brainstorm and we can start exploring wherever the discussion is going. And then at some point, you then start making decisions to how do you refine those ideas into a direction, into an action plan. That's awesome. So how do you do that? How do you create that safe space that's devoid of judgment? What do you do? Yeah, I think part of it is, is again, making that commitment to each other that if, for example, one of us feels that their trust is being lost in this, in this space or mm-hmm. th- that you don't feel like you can actually express what you feel honestly, and that goes for myself too. If, I'm not a- if I don't feel comfortable being able to give feedback to somebody because they're resistant right. um, and we try to explore that and they're not allowing me in, then we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice together. So I think part of it is, is, again, making those commitments early on. You're designing an alliance. You're designing a, a connection with each other mm-hmm. to say, this is what we're going to do together when there's a dip in our trust or there's a dip in the energy. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, you know, like anything else, when you are trying to grow, you do have to step out of your comfort zone. That's hard. That's difficult and uncomfortable. When you know that that's going to happen and you both make a commitment to say, let's talk about that together, it makes it a little bit less uh, daunting, I think, for both of, both of you, and that that I think in time that iteration of really working through the dip together builds that trust. Yeah, so you have to kind of get them to that vulnerable place the first time around, mm-hmm. and then it becomes easier to to get there each subsequent time. That's right. So, so all these things that all these people you've been working with over the years, all these challenges they're facing. What, what are some of the most common ones, or how have you seen these issues or challenges change over time you know, mm-hmm. as leaders evolve or the corporate environment evolves? What's, what's changed over time? Well, you know, one thing that I, I think is true about leadership in general is by its very nature, it's very difficult to do well. Yeah. You know, it's a label. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to be a leader because I think we, we, we know that there's a lot of benefits that it brings, whether it's by title or whether it's by the real control and power that you have responsibility right depending on the setting that you're in being seen as a leader can bring power can bring recognition credibility in many cases autonomy so people leave you alone and of course money uh and that too yeah right (laughs) yeah as a a result you know what what i find is that many people rush to become leaders and, and and even if they're not necessarily prepared and in some cases even if they don't want to yeah, um, because right? they're strong performers and yeah. someone else positions them for those opportunities. Yeah, and in fact, if, they're, if they weren't necessarily promoted or they were passed over in some respect, they oftentimes see that as a failure. And, and again, the reality is that I think the leadership is so hard because there's, there's no exact science. It involves many moving parts from knowing yourself to knowing what others need to follow you. And then, of course, making the connection between you and the people around you even when it's out of your comfort zone. Nihar, it sounds like there's so many ways to to be a good leader. How do you make sense of all this? You're right. There's no perfect playbook and really just only best practices that one can borrow. And even then, you know, finding your own authentic spin on what worked for another leader takes courage and self-awareness. I'd say the perennial challenge for leaders is that great leadership is something that is very hard to define on paper, yet you know it when you see it, and you also know it when you don't. That's true. 
right? It's, it's why the leadership section in the bookstore is always stacked with hundreds of new books. There's no perfect answer, but it's critical to getting big things done. And that's why people always want to learn how to become a better leader. Absolutely. And I totally understand what you're com- where you're coming from. You talk about the importance of courage and self-awareness. And it's a journey, right? Mm-hmm. So, so talk to us about how things have changed over time as it relates to you know, leadership development, the evolution there. Well, one thing I can say is that I'm happy to see that there's less a stigma around getting help to become a better leader. What I've noticed just since I started becoming a coach and till now is that companies see, see coaching as more of an investment in their best leaders and less of a, an opportunity to correct them or to uh, point out uh, weaknesses. And, and there's really a, a lot of positive, there's a lot of potential in this area because the, the, the truth is that there are many things a leader and a boss cannot develop alone without objective insight. And there are safe ways to practice new behaviors before you're going live when you're Mm -hmm. using a coach. With a coach, in my opinion, and this might sound a little biased, is that I think everyone wins. The leader wins, the boss wins, and the organization around the leader also wins with no real downside. Absolutely. And I hear what you're saying around kind of this lack of stigma and opportunity to practice these sorts of things in a safe setting. And I really like what you said around the fact that coaching is now perceived as a strategy or a solution to help people develop or to help them more effectively transition versus being seen as just as an opportunity to improve performance. And quite frankly, hiring an external coach is probably not the most effective way to improve someone's performance anyway. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. So I guess a little bit of a transition, Nihar, another question for you. We talk about old tapes a lot in coaching and I know we've seen it in our, our past lives together. And for those of our listeners, by old tapes, I mean outdated perceptions about an employee or a leader that persist in spite of real behavioral change or even perceived behavioral change. So on your end, how have you coached employees to overcome those old tapes that their manager or their organization is playing about them? I think it's a great question, Joy. And it's part of virtually every coaching engagement that I have. There's really many ways to do this, but I think the first step no matter what, is to, st- is to put everything out on the table. Mm. You really can't change what you can't see and acknowledge. So what do you mean by that, to put it all out on the table? Well, what happens is that leaders oftentimes are resistant to feedback or they're not being given the right feedback to mm. know what to change. And what happens is many times leaders will either defend themselves against perceptions that they're, they're seeing, that they're being told other people have of them. Sure. Right. But also in some cases they don't have access to the insights that people have and they're not, they're not really sure about how to go get that information. An interesting thing has, has happened for me in, in a lot of my coaching engagements where, you know, typically you, you run across those cases where you're working with a leader who um, their boss might say, you need to be more effective in developing relationships with, with your peers. You need to be perhaps a, a little bit less rough around the edges and I'll work with leaders around changing those perceptions. Mm-hmm. But what's also funny is that I've also come across leaders who are genuinely unaware of those old tapes. Oh, I'm sure. Right. And the reason why is because many times they're led to believe that they are getting better, but those old tapes are still being run. It's not always just the leader being coached that that is the problem. It's actually sometimes the inconsistency of the feedback being given. And, you know, I dare say there might even be some passive aggressiveness that often happens when a company or a leader's boss is not always giving them the honest feedback or the 360 because they don't really want to tell the leader up front what the problem is. And why don't they? Maybe it seems like an obvious question, but 
why aren't they giving them that feedback? And in the cases where you've been coaching people and Mm -hmm. those old tapes are still being played without the leader that you're coaching knowing about it. I think it's a a delicate thing to broach. Uh, You know, I don't obviously go to the boss and ask them, why haven't you necessarily done what I think you should be doing? Exactly. What I I do think um, you find when you have, and in some cases I would add that, you know, in coaching leaders, I think I oftentimes coach their boss as well. And you are looking at them as a system and you're thinking, how do we actually create a more uh, effective connection between the both of you as well? And what I have found in that process is that the reason why many people don't tell their leaders maybe that particular nuance that they, that they, they uh, about the old tape is because they worry a lot about whether that's going to affect their productivity or their level of engagement. And oh, so, yeah. right. And so when you take out some of the, the judgment of it and you create that again that same condition where we're able to build trust and talk about what are the things that we can help you work on to become even more effective as opposed to correcting what you're doing mm-hmm. then i find that bosses feel a little more comfortable to say yes you know this is something that has been bothering me or this is something that i think is is getting in your way and let's let's work on it together let's figure out strategies to to remove that together so it's about thinking about making them better mm-hmm. or more effective and trying to remove some of the stigma associated with uh, it being a barrier to Mm -hmm. some extent. And it sounds like you're also working with the leader directly. Like you I like what you said around it being part of a system, right? That Mm -hmm. we all need to work together to help develop this individual. And some of it sounds like it's just about positive intent. Exactly. Right. It's it's exactly right, Joy. It's a great point. It's, it's getting people on the same page about, Hey, we're on the same side of of this issue, you know, as a leader, let's say you're a VP and you, you tend to get too much in the weeds and therefore you're micromanaging your team. If you tell the, the, that VP that you need to change that tomorrow, okay, it's, it, it, it doesn't really have as much of an impact as, as opposed to saying, unless you change this behavior, you're not able to actually free up your time to be more strategic. Mm. So deciding the consequences of not making the behavior change. And also framing it to your point around a positive intent, which is to say, we can actually help you succeed, Mm. you know, as opposed to just having you change this because I think you need to get rid of that behavior. It's actually going to help you by figuring out ways to remove that, 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 um, that ineffective behavior. Absolutely. That's a great point. So going back a little ways, Nihar, how do you play a role in facilitating the positive intent we were just talking about? Yeah, so I think this is exactly a reason why an external coach can be very helpful because in my role, I can actually get the boss, the HR partner, the leader, whoever's invested and impacted by the leader's approach to objectively share with me what they may have trouble sharing directly with each other. It's not an indictment on them. All organizations have politics and repercussions for saying something that might be misinterpreted. But I do combine the inputs as an external coach in a way that presents the old tapes in an objective way and then work with the leader and other stakeholders to brainstorm the validity of those tapes. You know, what do they mean for the future? What behaviors need to change and why? Mm. I work with them to, to really explore together how we know that they, the leader has changed and that the behaviors have actually been modified. And who can we enlist to observe the change? You know, making a group effort within that system to measure success is often the only way to make sure that the leader feels like his efforts were uh, worthwhile and also that the organization around them is benefiting from those changes. Absolutely. And defining those success measures is really difficult. Uh, Can you talk to us a little bit more about how you help leaders and the system of individuals identify what those are? 
Yeah, one place I tend to start with is really understanding the company's leadership competency model or framework. Oh, that's a great point. Right? So so we can, you know, when you oftentimes when you're coaching leaders and you say, what do you want to do or what do you want to work on or what do you want to get better, they have one perspective, and that's usually shaped by their values, by their goals, by their strengths, perhaps past wins that they've enjoyed in their career. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't always lead to success in their role or even in the future role. They have to be somewhat balanced with the success criteria of the organization around them. And so I'll give you an example. Let's say that uh, uh, a leader who has, is performing at a very high level really values autonomy. Mm-hmm. But the success criteria of being a general manager in that particular organization is such that you know, you, you have to interface with all the many teams that, that you work with periodically and, and pretty consistently. Sure. Is that going to test that, that preference, you know, that that leader has to kind of stay away? Is that going to make it difficult for them to really do their job the way the organization wants it versus what they value? And as a coach, we try to find that kind of happy medium between the two. But the idea here is to really take whatever input we can gather from the organization around what does success look like in the organization for this role and for the future succession of this role. Right. And then really tra- translate that back to this leader and, and their behaviors that could contribute to it. Yeah. And the related development area, that's helpful context. I appreciate you going in a little bit more detail there. Cause I do think that's really hard for people to think about finding them and where do they start? And I know people struggle tremendously with the, their own development plans and certainly some of our listeners do as well. I guess on a related note on on this topic around the development areas, one of my colleagues once told me about a webinar she attended, and it was called What's Your Butt, which sounds really horrible, but (laughs) what it it meant was meaning so-and-so is great, but they don't do X, or I wish they would do this, or insert X behavior, or, or what have you. So what's your advice to others listening to our podcast and potential coaching clients in general to find out what their butt is? Right. Well, it's a a great concept. I I think this is really good advice in general for any leader that they should actively seek out honest feedback on how they show up, where they are strong, where they might be missing in terms of effectiveness. A simple piece of advice would be to choose a few trusted stakeholders around you to ask for input on a particular issue or behavior that you want to uh, work on, and then ask if they might mind sharing their observations with you about any changes you ha- you made after, let's say, six to nine months. But, Joy, I-, I would caution people on one thing around this concept. The criteria for success, and so the criteria yeah. for what that but is, mm-hmm. should be clear and should be consistent. Mm-hmm. One of the most confusing things that I've seen in, in coaching and also being within organizations is that getting and responding to feedback is obviously going to be colored by the person observing the leader as much as by the leader's approach. We, we all know that we have biases and cognitive distortions that play a part in how we handle behaviors that we don't like. Absolutely. Right? Or, or even address relationships that maybe have soured recently. Mm-hmm. And so it can become very demotivating for a leader to constantly adjust their approach every time a new aspect of feedback from a new colleague emerges. Sure. And though the leader might change, it's not clear whether those changes are good for the business or just for a few people given the feedback. So I think it's always a better idea to work on the aspects that all stakeholders agree on are vital for success in the organization. And that goes back to the point about really looking into the success criteria for your role and for your future contribution. Nihar, this has been so helpful to our listeners. I know it's been helpful to me. It would be great if you could leave our listeners with a few pieces of advice that would summarize what we've shared with them in this episode. 
Sure. I think the one thing I would like to leave your listeners with is a a very simple three-step process. The first thing is make an effort to understand yourself. Understand and develop insight around your strengths, your opportunities for development, your values, your preferences, and and be honest with yourself about that. Mm -hmm. Number two, proactively find out what matters to the organization around you. What is the success criteria of effective leaders in your role or in the role that you aspire to? And think broadly. Think about all the behaviors that really comprise being effective and having an impact as you as you improve your scale and your impact in a, in a larger organization. And the third step, which is probably the hardest, is make a connection between the two. Connect what is important to you, your goals, your values, what makes you unique with the, the criteria of success in your organization and oftentimes they won't align. So have the courage to you know, change and to adapt your behaviors as necessary. And hopefully use, use some help from a coach, whether it's an external coach or an internal partner. And you'll, you'll get there much faster than perhaps doing it on your own. That's great, Nihar. I have nothing to add except that I think that's great career advice in general. Certainly steps one, two, and maybe two and a half. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so much again for being part of this podcast, Nihar. I know it was, again, helpful to me and certainly helpful to our listeners. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me at uh, partnerexec.com. That's one word. So www.partnerexec.com, partnerexec. Awesome. Thanks again, Nihar. Thanks, Joy. Thanks for listening. I hope you took away from this episode as much as I did particularly around the importance of self-awareness, trust, and being able to connect what matters to your organization with your own values, skills, and strengths. You can find me, Natalie, at smalltownleadership.com and joy at joyschwartz.com. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to check out future podcasts of The Collective Voice on iTunes. This is Joy Schwartz and Natalie Siston, with The Collective Voice.